Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 62 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 22nd, 2009, and we're going to be talking USC football recruiting as well as spring football and give you a little preview of the NFL draft this week on the podcast. If you don't know what the podcast is, it's our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We like to do this each and every week. We have different guests on, and this week, we normally have Coach Harvey Hyde in that number one slot, but we have, I have a little bit of jury duty problems, so we we'll have to reschedule some of the uh, interviews we got, but we're going to have a special guest, Gerard Martinez, the uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, joining us in the first segment. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm doing good. Hey, jury duty is not a chore for all of us. It's a responsibility. It's a responsibility. It's my responsibility. i got to go do jury duty, so we have to... Uh, Recorded at different times than we normally do this week, so I apologize for that. We'll definitely have Coach Harvey Hyde on next week. Um, but, you know, we'll get a little bit extended recruiting coverage this week, which a lot of people that have emailed, emailed us on the show, they like to hear that, Gerard. They like to hear from you, Gerard. The masses luck out and get uh, <laughs> overtime <laughs> recruiting coverage. I, yeah, I don't think uh, anybody's uh, kicking their dog because of that one. Yeah, if you have any questions for us, always podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can uh, write out your questions, or if you want to send us an audio file, we'll try to play that on the podcast. You can listen to your question on the air, so to speak. And I just wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or if you want to give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. The Trojan Huddle is coming up this weekend. I don't think you need to call SC Tickets for those, but if you want Laker tickets, Dodger tickets, Angels tickets, stuff like that, you can give SC Tickets a call. And uh, Gerard... You're going to be at the Trojan Huddle this weekend, right? I am. All right. Gonna... This is this is true. RSVP, baby. I'm going to be there. Okay, so we're going to be spotting recruits down there with Gerard, and uh, you know, he. I don't know if anyone that knows more about USC football recruiting than than our boy Gerard Martinez. And uh, Gerard, there was a big camp this past weekend, the LA Nike camp at USC, held on uh, Howard Jones Field, and you know. One of the, the best pieces I've seen in a long time, the L.A. Nike Camp Analysis you wrote, uh, went up on April 21st. Um, great stuff, and uh, maybe we could uh, talk about that a little bit and get your thoughts overall on what was going on in the Nike Camp. That sound all right? Yeah, where, where do we start? <laughs> so much. That, that was a, a long analysis piece, and so, uh, yeah, where, where do you want to start with the uh, the coverage and review of, of the analysis? Well, let's uh, kind of look overall, maybe compare this camp. Like, what was the, the strengths and weaknesses, the weaknesses of this camp, and uh, maybe kind of compare it to the last couple uh, Nike camps that were held in L.A. or Southern California? Well, it was similar to last year in that there was no offensive lineman uh, in this camp that really jumped out as being, you know, high-level kind of USC-type recruits. Um, you know, last year you had Kevin Graff, which obviously was a was a big-time recruit, um, but I think he came into that 
camp already committed to USC. So uh, it was kind of like, okay, we, we know about Kevin Graft. He'd been going to the Nike camps for a couple of years at that point. Um, but outside of him, it, it seemed like it was a pretty a pretty weak class. And this year, kind of the same thing. Really not a lot of guys out there that, that jumped out. Um, the strength of the class was definitely the running backs, and we kind of knew that going in. Um, this is, you know, 2010, going to be a fantastic year for running backs. And uh, locally, there's just there's probably f- almost a dozen guys um, that are going to be Division One guys that uh, are going to have multiple scholarship offers. That you know, probably half those guys may end up being actual national recruits. Um, so I, I like the defense back recruits also. I think a lot of people kind of slept on those. Um, you know, everybody was kind of obsessed with, oh, you know, the running backs are so great. And uh, there were some sleepers here in the defensive back class, guys who had some good height, looked like they had some good speed. Um, instinctually, you know, you kind of want to see some more. It was Camp like that was pretty big, and you don't necessarily get to see guys go through as many reps as you want to. Um, it's certainly not like a Red Stars camp where, you know, they pull guys out of line and they want to see specific matchups, and the coaches do an excellent job of really – uh, spotlighting and pinpointing certain guys and putting them in positions where you really get to see them in evaluation-wise. Um, this wasn't so much like that, but there are still some guys that stood out in position drills and uh, with one-on-ones um, did some good things. So I would definitely say that the, the running backs, you know, everybody kind of knew that was going to be a big-time position. But the defensive backs came in and they surprised some people. Okay, and uh, we were posting some updates throughout the day on USAFootball.com, and I think one of the updates we posted that got the most reaction was that uh, Rick Neuheisel, the UCLA <laughs> coach, was was at the camp. And uh, I, I, just let everyone know, this is probably similar to what happened a couple of years ago when Pete Carroll was at the camp because his son was participating. Was that the same kind of thing that happened this weekend? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't know what kind of prospect Rick Neuheisel's son is. I, I haven't really heard much about him. Uh, but Nate Carroll was, you know, a legitimate possible D1 recruit. Uh, for some schools as a wide receiver. So um, I think it was a little bit of a reach, maybe inviting Rick <laughs> son to the camp. Maybe he, maybe he, uh, he maybe put, turned in a favor <laughs> for that <laughs> one uh, because he, you know, he's able to walk the sidelines and evaluate a lot of recruits. And today, uh, Kenny Stills is a guy that uh, uh, we're pretty fond of, uh, got an offer from UCLA, and he won camp MVP at the wide receiver position. So, you know, obviously a little bit of that evaluation that Rick Neuhausen was able to do at the camp paid off. Okay, and I think last year, wasn't it uh, Joe Montana's son was out there as well? He was at the camp. So there's, there's been a lot of high-profile dads that have been at this Nike camp lately. No, definitely. And, and um, I mean, you're always going to get that with uh, certain recruits that have, you know, high-profile fathers. And obviously when, you know, you played some sports or uh, you're a big-time football hero, your son's probably going to be that too. So, yeah, I mean, occasionally you see some guys that come through and, um, you know, they're, they're those big-time recruits that have big-time dads. Sometimes the dads on the sidelines overshadow the recruits uh, playing out there on the field, which is which is kind of funny. That was kind of like uh, with Montana a couple years ago. This year, uh, Nick Montana is a, a, is a fairly big recruit. So I think when Joe shows up to this, some things, he's not going to necessarily be the biggest distraction uh, to, to Nick that he was with Nate a couple years ago. Okay. All right. Well, let's get, maybe we'll go through some of the positions. Uh, we don't have to go into too much detail on these guys because we do have a couple of questions that were submitted we want you to answer as well time restraints <laughs> well, no, we're, right. we're okay we, we we bumped harvey high this week so we got a lot of extra time so we can do some more stuff but might uh, take me a half an hour just to just to read this whole analysis piece to you <laughs> no no we don't want to we don't want to read it. we just want to kind of get your thoughts on stuff but they they the first Come ones on, you kind of talked about was quarterbacks and i think a lot of people assume that you know usc got matt, matt barkley so they're not going to get a quarterback but i you know that it seems like there's a real chance that they're going to get one and maybe get your thoughts on that. And then 
the guys that were out there. What it doesn't seem like it was a very strong group that was at the camp. It wasn't a huge group. Um, I mean, USC's definitely looking at quarterbacks. Uh, the biggest name guy coming in was definitely Pete Thomas. He's about six five, two hundred pounds, and uh, just kind of that really old school pro style quarterback. He's got good mobility, but he's such a big guy. You know, you like to see that um, when you're playing under the center. You know, you got a lot of guys playing shotgun, and when you play shotgun, you can get smaller quarterbacks, shorter guys because there's better vision. Um, but when you're playing under center, you like the taller guys. And USC, they haven't totally gone away from that. I mean, they've got some guys that are six three, like Barkley, six four. Um, Corp, uh, but uh, you know Pete Thomas is the big guy, and unfortunately, just he, I think he had an off day. It seemed like he didn't really get going early, and when he had some passes go awry, he kind of started to press a little bit. And you still like his arm strength, you still love his kind of physical presence in the in the pocket. You know, I think coaches are still going to look at that. There's still going to be you know hundreds of colleges going down to high school to watch him here in the May evaluation period, and we'll see how it goes. I, I think it's one of those deals where. Quarterbacks, you got to see a lot of. You really have to do your homework and evaluation. You can't just watch them in one practice or watch them in one camp and just kind of write them off. Um, you know, I think you know Aaron Corp is actually a really good example of that. Aaron Corp was a terrible camp quarterback. We saw him at the Nike camp uh, a few years ago. We saw him at the Rising Stars camp, which was the Rising Senior camp at that point, and he looked pretty bad. He had a really bad. <laughs> Uh, camp and just wasn't showing the arm strength, really didn't have a lot of accuracy. He's not a practice-style quarterback, but when you put on the tape of him playing for Orange Lutheran, the guy takes over games. I mean, he just, it just the light bulb goes on, he just has the adrenaline going, and he becomes focused and in the zone and a different kind of quarterback. So, you know, with, with, with quarterbacks in general, you never know. Some guys have some really good um, chemistry with some of the receivers and timing-wise. There's a lot of variables that go into it. So, you know, Pete Thomas didn't have a great camp, uh, but he was definitely the guy everybody was looking at. Uh, Jesse Stroggins ends up coming up being the MVP, and um, he's a guy that's very accurate. He's not real tall. He's about 6'2", about 190 pounds. Um, but he's been a guy that has gone to a, a number of camps thus far and really been lights out all, all the way around. And so he's consistent. I mean, he, he's a guy that, you know, you talk about how you never know what you're going to get from a camp um, in terms of the you know the quarterback position. This is a guy who's been consistent and been great at just about every camp that he's gone to, and he got the MVP this year. Uh, Chase Reddick was the guy that probably had the, the lightest arm um, on, on Sunday. I mean, he was a guy that was really kind of had good velocity on his passes. Uh, wasn't, you know, great accuracy on every Thing, but you still got to see him throw some balls and go, wow. I mean, whether it was complete or not, the guy's got a good arm. And But he's also a guy that's in that 6'2 range and a little smaller, and you just don't know if USC wants to go in being, like I said, a, a school that you know, likes to be under center, play action. You like a guy that's got a little bit of height. And this, this camp, there really wasn't a lot of guys with a lot of height. It was Pete Thomas and him kind of, you know, towering over everybody else. All right. And uh, running backs was definitely a strength. I guess, interestingly enough, maybe you can comment on this first. You know, USC has two running back commits already for the class of 2010, and neither one of them took part in the camp. No, they both showed up, and we got them interviewed uh, with uh, with Emily Nerland and uh, Michelle Family. Both uh, were able to interview and talk to them, and they just kind of hung out and, and watched the, the running back position, uh, but neither participated. And uh, it was funny. I mean, with those two guys standing on the sideline and the guys actually that uh, that, that camped, it was I mean, it was a, a terrific turnout. I mean, you really got to see how strong this class was in terms of running back. And not all of these guys are going to end up playing running back in college. Um, the camp MVP was Brennan Clay. Brennan Clay was definitely the wild guy uh, of everybody that showed up. He was the guy that we knew about and, and we've known about for a while, 
But he came into the camp and just kind of, when you watch him and you look at his physique, you just go, dang, wow, he's, he's way better than we anticipated. He looks much better than we anticipated. He's about six foot, 195 pounds, maybe 200 pounds, and just really built, really good frame, um, great cutting ability, fast. He just kind of has that whole package, and, um, and, and he just kind of lit it up, and everybody kind of watched him. Uh, but you also had Anthony Brown, who we've seen play three or four times now in person, and the guy never disappoints. I mean, he's always been great. He can play receiver. He's got great hands out of the backfield. He's fast. He's quick. He's another guy with a great physique. I mean, very strong good-looking player on the hoof, and another time, you know, this is, you know, like I said, third time in a row we've seen him, and he's still really good. I think he's a guy that we talk about, you know, some of these running backs, great class, but some of them can play other positions. I really want to see Anthony Brown play a little cornerback here. Uh, one of these camps, I want to see him go out and play corner. We see him play free safety at the National Underclassman Combine last year, and he was very good. And we've seen him play running back now twice. I want to see him play cornerback and see if he can actually be isolated against a guy man-to-man and do what he's done um, here athletically, both at running back and at safety. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Omar Bolden, who came out of uh, Colony High School a few years ago. And Omar was a, was a fantastic player that USC tried to get in late, and he ended up at ASU, and uh, he's, he's starting at ASU. Um, I don't know, I think, I think he had some injuries or whatnot, but that's a guy that kind of played both sides of the ball. But you like guys, you've got that, you know, that they're, they're bigger than 5'9", they're 5'10", 5'11", and they've got some strength behind them. Um, Dietrich Riley is a guy we've seen you know a million times as well, and he every he, you know I don't, I'm I'm a little worried about Dietrich only in that he's he's very undecided. He's an indecisive guy because every camp we see him show up, he starts at one position and then he ends up at another position. He did the same thing down at the National Underclassman Combine in San Antonio. We're sitting there, we're filming him playing running back, and all of a sudden he disappears. And nobody knows where he is. So we go down to the defensive backs, and there he is shutting down uh, Marquis Ambles. I mean, just destroying Marquis Ambles. So kind of in this camp, he did the same thing, but vice versa. He started out with the safeties. We're looking at the defensive backs. We're going, man, this is a good-looking group. And all of a sudden, Dietrich disappears, and he's down with the running backs, and he's tearing up with the running backs. So uh, obviously a great athlete all, all around. I mean, he's got good hands really aggressive, really works hard. I mean, he's a guy that will call people out of line. If you're the best linebacker and you're starting to shut people down, he's going to call your name out and he's going to go against you and he's going to fight and bite and scratch and do anything he can to get open and make a play against you. He has that kind of intangible, and I think that's why Pete Carroll liked him so much, offered him uh, last summer at the Rising Stars camp. He just he just liked him too much, and you can see that, that competitive nature that uh, Dietrich Riley has. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just it was a great – you know, running back uh, um, turnout, you know, Sunday. And, and Malcolm Jones is the other guy who, who's got an offer. You know, he's being recruited by as a fullback by USC, um, but is rated currently number one running back, number one player in California by com. We think that's um, a little bit of a I – I wouldn't say he's the number one player in California. And I think after the camp, they're probably going to realize he's probably not the number one player in California. But he's still really good. He's still really good, probably top five. And a guy that when you look at him physique-wise, oh, man, you start to go, ah, you know, what could he do at linebacker? Because he's a legitimate six-foot, maybe six-foot-and-a-half, um, at least 210, 215. And he's got a real look about him and just something – screens linebacker when I see him in person, every time I see him in person. He's done some good things at running back, 
but there's just something about his physique and just the way he handles himself. He looks like a running back. He reminds me a lot of Haynes Pollard, who's about six foot two, fifteen, two twenty, out of Crenshaw High School. Um, and we saw him at the FBU camp, and he was really good there. And USC has offered him a scholarship, and it looks like he's going to be offered uh, as a Mike linebacker. So those two guys are kind of similar. Um, and then last but not least, we had Traylon Briggs, who just got a scholarship offer the week before. Uh, he's about 5'11", 205 pounds. He struggled in this camp. Um, he didn't have a great camp in terms of catching the ball. you got to remember, these power-type running backs, guys like Jones, uh, guys like Briggs, this is a non-contact camp, and, it, and it's not even non-contact like Rising Stars is non-contact. Rising Stars is non-contact, but they got 11 on 11. I mean, these guys go into team drills, and they run each other down just like they do in practice. I mean, no pads at USC doesn't really mean anything. This is really a no-contact camp, so you're not seeing guys you know, use their power running skills and breaking tackles and doing all that kind of stuff. You don't get to see that. So a guy like Briggs, a guy like Jones, you only get to see the finesse-style stuff, the, really their weaknesses. And unfortunately with Briggs, he got caught a couple times at the line of scrimmage and, and couldn't get off the line, and, and he's got to work on some moves a little bit. He's got to be able to separate against those guys and become a bigger part of a team's passing game um, in order to really fulfill his potential. Uh, but again, you know, again, he's a power runner, and you don't get to see that in a camp like this. All right, so lots of good stuff uh, on the running backs and um I guess we could switch over to the defensive side of the ball and look at some of the defensive linemen and I think there was a lot of talk on the peristyle when people when the camp was going on and some people came back and they they weren't all that pressed with the guy who ended up winning the uh, camp MVP for the defensive line uh, Ronald Powell and we ended up putting a video interview with him up Emily Nerland did that interview and we got to talk with uh, Powell and kind of get his thoughts on stuff um, I mean, he was something that he was someone that really impressed you. I guess, kind of, what were your overall impressions of what uh, Powell did at the camp? Yeah, and uh, Emily got a great interview with them. Uh, it was a, it was a great interview. You guys need to check that out. Um, it kind of get the feel of of Ron and kind of how serious he is and how focused he is and just he, he's such a mature guy. He's come so far since he was a freshman. It's unbelievable, and he's transformed himself physically. He's transformed himself mentally. I mean, he's a real leader and you get the feel man this is a guy we got to get in our program i mean every college that recruits him when you talk to him this is a guy we got to get in our program he's a leader and you get that feel i think from that interview and we saw him and, and you know he got started kind of slow in one-on-ones and i don't know if people fell asleep and they just saw like his first three reps and they walked away and they said oh well i've seen enough and ron powell is overrated well okay settle down he was great he was still blowing past people. Um, <laughs> you look at the guy and you realize, I mean, athletically, there was really nobody on that field. I mean, Clay, I guess you could you could make the debate, um, you know, being a running back, you know, he's maybe a little more valuable because you put the ball in his hand. But I guarantee you this much, and I watched – uh, the receivers, and I watched Xavier Grimble, the guy we kind of went over. We didn't talk about 6'4", about 245. Barry Every, you know, rankings analyst for Rivals.com is calling him the best tight end in the country. I tell you what, I see Ron Powell play receiver, and I've seen him play tight end in person like three, four times. He, if he would have played tight end at that camp, would have been by far the best tight end at the camp, but one of the best receivers. That shows you how athletically dominant he is. And I think the biggest news is that he actually lost a little weight when he actually measured him. He's only about 225, about 228. Um, so he's usually, you know, we put him up there in that 235, 240 range. So he lost a lot of weight, and his physique is amazing. And he had a great camp. I mean, there was really nobody that could handle him. Um, it just was one of those things where he had to get used to um, just the, the pass protection. You get these, these offensive line 
linemen that they know it's a pass protection drill and they jump back on their kick step. I mean, they're playing like 20 yards off the line. <laughs> it's like illegal. <laughs> you know, it would be uh, illegal formation if there was a referee there. You know, in terms of they, they know this guy's fast and he's coming after him. So they're kind of showing a little bit their move. And he just took a little time to kind of get used to that and just not using one move and trying to use more moves. And But, you know, once he got going, he was great. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think the guy – outside of Ron that we really were kind of watching and intrigued by because we'd seen him play uh, last summer at the UCLA camp was George Uko. And uh, George Uko is a guy that's, you know, he's gotten a lot bigger. And we saw him at UCLA. He's probably about 255, 260, has a real unique physique. Um, I would almost compare him. He's like a defensive line version of Alshon Jeffrey who, if people remember Alison Jeffrey last year, was committed to USC as a wide receiver. He has his ridiculous legs, very high cut, really long arms. It's almost like he has, like, his torso is, is only, like, a tenth of his body. It's this weird kind of look. And George Uko is kind of like that on the defensive line. But now he starts to fill out, and the more weight he gains – the more intriguing of a prospect he is because obviously defensive tackles do not grow on trees here in Southern California. They don't grow on trees anywhere in California, in the West for that matter. You've got to go down to Alabama and Florida and Texas and the South to go get you know, big-time defensive linemen. So George Uko is a guy who we liked. We saw a little bit. He's very raw. He doesn't have a ton of technique right now. He doesn't have a great hand move. He doesn't have a lot of spin moves. But when you watch him leverage-wise and you watch his explosion out of his stance, uh, he, he's – He's looking pretty good, and he's about 280 now. Uh, I'd say about 6'2", 6'2 and a half. Um, so he's a guy that we really liked a lot, and people are going to have to kind of watch. Um, pre-camp, the biggest news uh, coming out was probably that Cassius Marsh showed up in uh, Trojan sweats, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> he came up in warm-ups, and we saw him. And well, He's like, a, he's a kid that Cassius people don't know. He's committed to Cal. He's committed to Cal, yeah, 6'3". Yeah. 265, defensive tackle, had an offer from USC. Um, there was some talk like he wanted to commit to USC, but USC just wasn't ready to take his commitment. And this kind of goes towards, you know, we talked about this before on the podcast, kind of USC, you know, their strategy and how they want to handle commitments this year as opposed to last year, when last year you had some decommitments, you had a lot of wavering, it seemed like every other week a guy who was committed started talking about taking visits. They want guys to really be committed. And I think really more than anything, Cassius Marks wasn't really ready to be committed. And I don't know if he's ready to be committed to Cal if he's showing up to USC at the Nike camp with USC <laughs> sweats yeah. on. So kind of goes to show you, maybe USC's got the right idea here. This thing may not be over for him. Uh, we didn't really get into talking with him a, a bunch about it, but it'll be interesting to see how the process plays out for him. And he's talking about taking some visits, and he really likes Cal and everything, but things can change. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, that was kind of uh, that was maybe the most interesting tidbit going into the camp before everything got started, uh, that Cassius Marsh uh, showed up in SC gear. I actually had a question. Someone at uh, practice on Tuesday asked me about, about him and about his commitment to Cal. And, you know, I, I don't know if you had any comments. I mean, he was, I, I, he was kind of insinuating that there might have been something weird going on with his recruitment by Cal. And, uh, you know, I told him I had not heard anything like that, but it's just it's early in the process. And, uh, you know, because of the fact that he showed up to the Nike camp wearing USC sweats, I mean, you know, obviously his recruitment could still possibly be wide open. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd say wide open. I mean, it's pretty early after the commitment, but 
it's a long ways till signing day. And like I said, USC learned that the hard way last year, and so they're going to take their time. He might be a guy that ends up bouncing back and, and taking an official visit to USC. And if he does that, then all you know, all, everything is, is up in the up in the air. There's no uh, there's no guarantees that he'll end up at Cal. And um, you know, I think like I said, the showing up in Trojan gear is interesting. And just we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's. Uh... Look at the linebackers, I guess, real quick. Uh, Tony Jefferson, who's actually being recruited by USC as a safety, was a little banged up, and uh, he didn't have his best uh, best camp out there. Maybe get a few quick thoughts on him. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, we talked to him, and, and now he's officially being recruited by USC as a safety. So, you know, he still he plays linebacker in high school, and so he decided to still work out. He had a little bit of a groin injury. Um, and, and, you know, he had some good moments and he had some bad moments. This is one of those things where I think like Pete Thomas, he kind of pressed a little bit. He got beat on some pass routes early, and then after that he was kind of trying uh, almost too hard, and, and he got into his head a little bit. And um, But, you know, I think the athleticism is still there. And as with the, the power running backs, um, a guy like Tony Jefferson, he's a big-time hitter. And you're just not going to see that in a camp like this. So, yeah, I mean, he had an okay camp. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he does at the Rising Stars camp as a safety. I mean, really putting him out there in space and seeing if he can if he can play like that. I mean, this is going to be a challenge for him. It's going to be different, and we're going to have to see if he has the hips and he has the quickness to be able to read and uh, attack people, you know, with them in front of him, you know. So it's it's – it's similar to some of the things he does at uh, East Lake Chula Vista, but um, you know it's it's definitely a different position uh, overall in, in coverages and, and having to call out coverages and kind of know you know as a safety you got to know where you are, but you got to know where strong safety is or the free safety, whichever position you're playing. You got to know where the cornerbacks are too. You got to know all the coverages. So that's going to be a little different. We're going to be able to see that uh, here over the summer. All right, then the last position group I want to talk about before we get to the questions. Um, the secondary, obviously, that was a strength of this camp. Maybe a couple of guys. I know you really liked Demetrius Wright, but uh, Shaquille Richardson also, I think he won the MVP of the whole camp, correct? Yeah, yeah, he ended up being the MVP and was one of the guys that really was a standout at the uh, FBU camp that we uh, went to down at the Coliseum. And he's just a very consistent player. He's not a blazing speed, uh, doesn't have like this great physique that just blows you away. Um, he's kind of lanky and, and tall, and he just seems to really have good awareness and good technique, and guys really can't get away from him so much. You know, it's, 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 he never gets beat bad, and he's always just able to be somewhere near the ball. So if the ball's not perfectly thrown, um, he can get a hand on it. He can get his hand in the receiver's face. Um, he does a really good job of that. I think one of the things that you see with a lot of cornerbacks is that they try to be real aggressive, and it's like hit or miss. You know, it's high risk, high reward. And either they bump a guy, they want to get up in press coverage, they want to be Deion Sanders, and they want to bump a guy and knock him silly right at the line of scrimmage. And if you don't do that, then you're going to get beat. You're already three yards behind uh, any kind of receiver who's got speed, and we see that a lot happen. So, um, you know, Shaq Richardson is kind of that conservative, uh, you know, similar to what USC likes in the cornerback, and they like that kind of cover two guy that kind of stays off a little bit and just doesn't get, you know, toasted downfield. So we'll see how his recruitment develops here. It doesn't seem like USC's been real interested in him, um, but he's been pretty consistent here in the camps we've seen. And you mentioned Demetrius Wright. Demetrius Wright, a guy we've been high on for a while. Uh, we went down there and we watched a tape with uh, Coach Brandon at Corona, and Coach Brandon was, you know, really big on Jordan James. Obviously, he was a guy that, you know, Jordan James was leading the league. He had over a thousand yards in the first five games, and then he broke his arm, and he was hurt for like two, three games, and he was still leading the league in rushing. So that was a pretty big deal. Jordan James had turned around. A 
become a national recruit now, which is just like, wow, okay. Uh, you know, Florida's offered him. All these schools, you know, East Coast, West Coast have offered him. Well, his teammate, which a lot of people don't know about, is Demetrius Wright. Demetrius Wright is a legitimate six foot, six one, hundred eighty, hundred eighty five pound cornerback, and with great speed, he actually ended up running a four four nine at the Nike Combine the day before. And we didn't know that, but you just watch him play, and you see a guy that's got great speed. Got to find out more about his hits. I just need to see more repetition with him and see him playing against yeah a little better receivers. The receiver group was okay, wasn't great. Um, want to see him play against some guys, really the bigger guys, or, or what do you want to see Demetrius White play against because he's got that size. And so uh, there's a kid who wants to play corner. He's got offers from most of the Pac-10 at this point. He's calling Arizona. Um, Oregon is top two with Washington really close. He likes what Washington's saying. Uh, he's got a brother who plays at Northern Arizona, and that's why he likes Arizona because it's close. So we'll see. USC hasn't really been on him early. I think that's going to change. I think when you get a guy like this that, that pops up out of the IE, uh, you just don't know a lot about him. He He's going to start getting looks now. and um, Maybe similar to the way Sharice Wright was recruited. Um, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, Kerry, Coach Carroll likes those big corners, and this guy's definitely that. And he, unlike Richardson, has that physique. He stands out right away. You're like, wow, this guy looks the part of a of a Division One, maybe NFL type cornerback um, with that six one frame. So, you know, we'll kind of see how it goes. Uh, Chris Simpson was a guy who came out of nowhere. Uh, who we really liked. And another guy we want to see more of, it's a big camp, and a big camp's not a good thing all the time because sometimes you got 19 guys you got to watch run around until you get to the guys you really want to see. And that gets boring after a while. And we didn't get to see enough of Chris Simpson, um, but people were saying that I mean, he had a bunch of interceptions on the far side of the field. And I, somebody was saying, yeah, he had like seven interceptions in one-on-one drills. I was like, I, I didn't see seven interceptions, but that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, <laughs> we saw him in position drills mostly. This is a guy who's got, again, legitimate six foot six one, and he's a lot leaner than Demetrius Wright, uh, but he played backup uh, receiver for the most part last year at Corona Centennial High School. And I'm going to show you how crazy talented Corona Centennial is when they got guys who are like some backup receivers you never heard of pop up at a Nike camp and look this good. And this kind of shows you, you know, the strength of that cornerback group, uh, defensive group and defensive, defensive back group in general. I think when you start to see the guys like this, you know, over the course of two, three months, all of a sudden this guy's going to be getting offers out of that group that people didn't really realize were that good. And so I think this was a, a good group. I think it's a deeper group than a lot of people um, coming out of the camp realize. And Simpson is kind of one of those guys that kind of exemplifies that. All right. Well, great stuff on the uh, the L.A. Nike camp, as always, Gerard. And it, for people who don't know, if you're not a huge recruiting fan, I know we talk a lot of team coverage, but we try to get – you know, there's a lot of requests for more recruiting coverage. We'll try to get more of that on the podcast, but Gerard's always putting up stuff almost every day on uscfootball.com. And there's a, the May evaluation periods are always important. All the coaches after spring practice ends, they're going to you know hit the road. I talked to Coach T-Mac today, Todd McNair, and he said he's going to be on the road for three weeks on the East Coast, You know, pretty much right after camp. He's not even going to have a chance to get home. So, they're out there hitting all the spring practices uh, for different high schools. They're evaluating all these players. So there'll be a lot of information coming in. And, Gerard, you always are on top of it, which is which we appreciate here at uscfootball.com. Thank you for that. Fun, fun, fun. These coaches, they love to hit the road. Uh, you know, get out there to Podunk, Mississippi, and drive <laughs> up to Podunk, you know, Arkansas, it's good stuff, man. You get to, get to check out all the barbecue and all the uh, the little cuisines and all these southern towns and all these back east places and hole-in-the-wall restaurants. It's awesome. I mean, you can't – it is recruiting. It's probably the epitome of, 
of what recruiting is and, and why you're either good or bad at it. <laughs> you've got to get on the road, you've got to hit it hard, and you've got to find guys, and you've got to see the guys that are ranked high uh, by, by recruiting services like Rivals.com and find out if they're a real deal or not because if they're not, you know, you can recruit them as hard as you want. You can bring in the guy that's really overrated, and, you know, it, it, it goes both ways. You know, sometimes you've got to find those guys also that nobody hears about that are sleepers that end up being big-time guys for your program, guys like Josh Pinkert. So this is when it all happens. All right. Well, let's finish up with a couple questions. Um, Kevin uh, had a question. He had four different guys. I think three of them you've already mentioned. So maybe just give me like one or two sentences on each of these guys. Um, <laughs> Count it, your sentences. The question being, uh, does USC have a chance with? And then the first one up is uh, Hayes Pullard. Uh, what are the percentages, or do they just have a chance just with them? They have, they have chance. definitely a chance with them. Okay. Definitely. Okay. So, <laughs> that's, so, that's, that's one sentence. Did that's, I do? That's, yes, that's <laughs> so one I word. Two sentences for the next guy now? That's, okay. Okay, so they, they have, have a chance. Ch- so, Kevin, next. they have a chance. Uh, Lake Seastrunk. <laughs> Lake Seastrunk, they have a chance with also. <laughs> All right. um, a, a really good chance. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, he's going to commit to Auburn any day now, evidently, um, according to everybody uh, that's, uh, I guess, not, you know, um, anywhere near the West Coast uh, would assume that. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day it's going to be LSU, USC, and, you know, we're going to see. It's going to, it might be, end up being a coin, a coin toss. Uh, I think LSU could end up being tough to beat. You know, they're, they're, they've done some good things there in that part of Texas. And, um, you know, they've, it's, it's going to be a battle. But, yeah, I mean, Auburn, you know, it's a long ways, long season. A lot of stuff can happen. Um, I'm calling the LSU, USC at this point. So, it's you know, hey, that point's 50-50. So, they definitely got a good chance. Not too bad. Okay. Uh, Malcolm Jones, the brother, you mentioned him already. He's the brother of uh, current USC cornerback Marshall Jones. Marshall Jones, yes. And then you've got Malcolm Smith and, um, you know, I, I get all those guys mixed up sometimes. I know. That's, so, I almost uh, don't, I would rather not have Malcolm Jones come because I don't know how confusing it would be <laughs> between Malcolm Smith, Malcolm Jones, and Marshall Jones. I mean, I, we just need yeah, a, a Marshall Smith and it would be complete. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a nightmare with those guys. Um, but, and, and you know, here's really, you want to hear something that's funny. Actually, <laughs> Mal- Malcolm and Marshall actually showed up to the camp, and they were, they were together, and we were standing there, and I was talking with them, and we were talking about Malcolm, and I was like, oh, man, I started thinking about that, and I go, gosh, this, I hope I don't actually start calling one of these guys Malcolm and referring to them as a recruit or as a player. And, yeah, very, very strange, very uh, – it's kind of makes kind of melts your mind when you start talking about all these guys. Um, but uh, going back, see, now I'm using up my time. Um, uh, do they have a chance at Malcolm Jones? Um, not so much. I think uh, the thing with recruiting was the fullback kind of you know, lighting is on the wall a little bit. Um, and USC definitely uses the fullback differently than a lot of schools. And I think you know these these kids. I don't know if they're going to come around to the fact or, or what have you, but, I mean, you got Stanley Avili, you got DJ Shoemate. Those guys are athletic guys, and they're playing fullback, and they've been very successful, and they're probably going to end up getting a chance to play in, in the NFL. And so they're, they're guys that were running backs that were kind of transitioned into playing a certain type of fullback position, really more of an F-slot type position for USC. So 
I mean, you know, Malcolm might start to get into that or what have you, but I think at this point it's really going to be a – I mean, Stanford is really an appealing attraction to him at this point. Um, UCLA will be there to fight for him. And he just got an offer from Oklahoma, and he seems to be really excited about that. So we'll see how it goes and, and how the process progresses. And whether, you know, I mean, like I said, he's a guy that could really play linebacker. And I don't know, I think he'd be really successful playing linebacker. And a lot of people compare that to, well, you know, Mark Tyler coming out of high school. And Mark Tyler thought he would be better playing linebacker, or at least his dad did. And, you know, he ends up playing running back at USC. And people say, oh, you know, he still would have been a better linebacker. I, I think with Malcolm that might really be true. I, I think he's a really good running back, but um, I definitely like to see what he could play. Um, play against a really good competition playing linebacker. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, USC's on the outside looking in at this point for his commitment. All right. And uh, just, you know, Mark Tyler, you mentioned he had a really big get, big day on Tuesday at practice. So uh, you, Mark Tyler fans will be happy. He had a, several big runs. Okay, last one because we are going to – High five, Mark Tyler fans. Yes. Uh, Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr. This is, uh, this is a hard one. Anthony Barr is like the enigma of this 2010 recruiting class. I mean, there were – Saying, oh, yeah, he's going to show up to Nike camp. I was like, I will eat my hat if he shows up to the Nike camp because he's not showed up to any events. He's been kind of uh, completely just, you just couldn't find him anywhere. And so a lot of people haven't even seen the kid um, play. They've seen some tape, but a lot of people have seen him play in person. Everybody has him going to Notre Dame, and for, for good reason. I mean, his dad is Reggie Brooks. He's. He's got a lot of family with Notre Dame. I mean, I, I had a Notre Dame source tell me it was a pretty high place to actually say, you know what, if Notre Dame manages to screw this one up, then they deserve, the whole coaching staff deserves to fire themselves. <laughs> wow. And so, it's yeah, I mean, they really think this guy is a lock. He's a stone-cold lock for Notre Dame. I've heard in recent weeks that, you know, with Notre Dame, if they have a really bad year this year and there's some turmoil with the coaching staff and then, you know, Charlie Weiss gets fired and there's some stuff, it could open the door a little bit for USC. Um, you know, I mean, SC might give him a, legit, a legitimate shot to play running back because they don't, they're looking for that power back. You know, everybody can't be Reggie Bush. Everybody can't be um, Joe McKnight. They're looking for a guy that can really be a downhill runner for him. Um, I don't know if Anthony Barr is that guy. I think he's almost too tall. I mean, he's legitimately like 6'4". 225, almost 230 pounds. You don't see a lot of guys that tall to be real successful at a high level playing running back. Um, but we've seen him play defense, and, and it's been mixed results. Another guy in this class that, you know, it's like Malcolm Jones. Like, I'd like to see him play against really, comp- really good competition and playing some outside linebacker. I mean, if a guy like that could show that he's aggressive and put his hat on people and, and was quick enough, you know, there's certain things with defense. You've got to be a quick twitch guy to play defense. Um, if he could show some of that stuff, man, you're looking at one of the best linebackers in the country because physique-wise and, and just athletically, he has it all. I mean, he is the guy that USC is looking everywhere for to replace Ray Maluga and Brian Cushing. I mean, it seems like this class, everybody's 5'11 and six foot, and you really don't have a lot of guys with height, and USC likes guys with height. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Ken Norton likes to recruit linebackers that look like Ken Norton. So, you know, <laughs> these 5'11", these six-foot guys are just not really cutting it. You kind of recruit them, and you go, well, I hope he turns into be Lofa Tatupu, but there are not a lot of Lofa Tatupus around. Um, and granted, you know, NFL, 
guys, there, there are a lot of 6'1", 6'2", guys, um, even six foot guys. They're not all 6'4", and I wrote this long piece about it. But you like to get a 6'4", guy, just to, you know, your, your margin of error is a little more <laughs> when you get a guy who's a little bigger who's also fast and strong and everything. So, um, bar, you know, we'll really see how it goes. At this point, you know, I'd still say, yeah, Notre Dame's definitely – uh, in the catbird seat, UCLA is going to go after him hard, and that'll be interesting. Um, but again, you know, his future position is maybe going to be the variable that kind of uh, throws a monkey in the uh, what, what's the what's the saying? Throws a wrench in the in the machine or whatever, monkey wrench into the wheel, whatever the hell, it's, whatever the hell. The, uh, <laughs> see, this is why you need Harvey Hyde. See, he's got Harvey Hyde has got all he's the phrases down. He can like throw stuff out there. Right. I'm just a stupid recruiting guy. I don't know anything. <laughs> but um, that's yeah. That said, um, it, that, there could be some. Some, some change um, depending on what happens at Notre Dame and depending on where he starts to feel his best position in college is going to be. All right. Well, we'll uh, definitely keep on top of that story as all the other recruiting ones. And, Gerard, we have our longest recruiting segment ever. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks very much. for doing Almost 40 minutes. Not bad. So all those people that wanted more recruiting, you got it. Thank you, Gerard, for doing that. A podcast to match the analysis piece. Um, you should just, yeah, you should, you should actually just put like Gerard on tape. You know how like books on tape, you got Gerard <laughs> on tape and I'll just read my recruiting stories to people. I, I bet you that would sell. Cause I've heard people before. Um, oh no, it was vice versa. People wanted to actually have us write out, like script the podcast. Yeah, they're like, Can you send a transcript tra- transcript of the podcast? I'm like, it's like an hour show. No, I cannot do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, That's but, awesome. People but yeah, so, you know. So the, the people that aren't real fond of Dan right now because he picked uh, Aaron Corp to be the starting quarterback and then the next day was named the starting quarterback, uh, we're only going to have about 20 minutes for him, so that's okay for you. But if you guys want to hear from Dan, after this really short break, we'll talk to Dan. We're going to do all the quarterback stuff we can. We'll also try to give you a little quick preview of the NFL draft. So uh, stay tuned for that. And Gerard, thanks again for joining us. Awesome. High five for Dan. All right, everyone else, 30 seconds. We'll be back with Dan Weike. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, we have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weike joining us in this segment. We're going to talk all about Aaron Corp being named the starting quarterback at Tuesday's practice. What's up there, Dan? How you doing? I'm doing good. Pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff. We were all at practice and uh, on Tuesday, and uh, you know, Pete Carroll ended up releasing the information that Aaron Corp was actually named the uh, starting quarterback. So going into the last week of spring football, uh, it comes out that Aaron Corp will be the number one guy, followed by Matt Barkley, and then followed by uh, Mitch Mustaine. So what? Yeah, I know you talked to a lot of different people, and it was kind of a, a crazy. <laughs> Crazy media day of practice because that was some big news out there. What, what were your overall impressions, Dan? Well, I think the the number one thing was that no one was really surprised by any of this. Um, that this was going to happen at some point in time. Um, I think the coaching staff knew that 
this was the direction they were going to go as soon as they decided that they weren't going to try to fully immerse Matt Barkley into the communication aspects of the offense with the signals and stuff like that. I mean, at Corpozal playing, at that point in time, the competition became, became down to Aaron Corp and Mitch Mustaine. And I think Corp was very clearly ahead of Mitch Mustaine. I think the question was, you know, this thing about Barkley and the signals that was, was never really, you know, ironically communicated to the media. Um, <clears throat> I think that really I, it was kind of the nail in the coffin as far as who was going to be the starter now. Um, you know, the impressions of, of it were just that I think that I look like the offense had a good day, and, and I think that's not coincidence. I think that, you know, that everybody seemed to have a little bit of a, an extra pep in their step. I, I know I don't think I've seen Corp happier after a practice. Um, Barkley seemed pleased, and uh, Mitch Mustaine seemed disappointed. I, I think it pretty much went as scripted. Okay, and then, you know, you wrote a piece uh, leading up to this that, yeah, I think some people gave you a little bit of flack on the message boards for that you came out and predicted that, you know, Aaron Corp would be the uh, starting quarterback. And when I've done radio interviews, I've pretty much said the same thing. I think that Barkley was, you know, just numbers-wise was outplaying Aaron Corp, but I, I think that the coaches will probably, you know, would most likely, and they end up doing that, naming Aaron Corp the starting quarterback, and then things would open up again in the fall. But is, is that kind of still your impression of what's going on? Yeah, um, there's two things. Uh, he might be out, he's out throwing him. I don't know if he's out playing him. Um, Barkley has such a better arm, and, and he does make more difficult throws on a consistent basis. Um, however, I mean, the no interceptions for Aaron Corp this spring so far, I mean, that's not just, you know, something we should gloss over. I mean, this is a ball-hawking defense that has picked everybody else. And, and, you know, they've come close to picking him a couple times, but the ball hasn't it hasn't gone into their hands that way. Um, it kind of think goes back and supports the notion that Corp was, this was his reputation coming out of high school, I know this is what was told to me at least, was that he was a guy who doesn't, like he just performs better in game situations. He's a competitor, he's a gamer. Well, this was a competition, and, and this was they tried to simulate as close to game situations as possible with the quarterbacks, and, and he really shined in those situations. I, I do think they really like the fact that he can run. I think they think he runs at the right times. I, I think that's definitely part of it. And then the um, the part about the the competition that's interesting, and you probably can shed more light on this than anybody else, is that I feel like this is like what Pete Carroll has always said, though, when he's named a, a quarterback in the spring. I know I was um, <clears throat> sitting in the media room after uh, after practice today, and uh, Gary Klein of the Los Angeles Times pulled up his story from last year on this, and in the headline, <laughs> it mentions how they tell Mitch Mustaine that he's still in the competition come fall. Yeah. And but it's but this is different though this time with Barkley because it's there's this one thing that's really impeding his progress and that's the the signals and the fact that he doesn't know the signals that if he played that Pete Carroll went as far as to say he couldn't play today because he doesn't know the signals and, and I mean if he assuming he learns that which I think he will by the time fall camp starts he's probably got two or three weeks to try to win this job again and. I would go as far as to say I think there's a good chance he could do it. Now, Matt Barkley, I think people, if you've gone out to practice and we've charted him with the quarterback rating, you know, when the plays are given to him, he's, I think he, he's, at, you know, he's played better. He's outperformed Aaron Corp. He has a better arm. If you were drafting him, you would definitely want a, the potential of a Matt Barkley over the potential of an Aaron Corp. 
Uh, but you know, there's there's the intangibles and stuff that you mentioned with Aaron Corp. The one thing that I was a little confused on, and maybe you can shed some light on this. I think uh, Jeremy Bates, the the new quarterback coach, the guy that's going to be calling the plays. Uh, you did an inter- I believe it was you. You did an interview with him, and he talked about how impressive he was with the calls that Matt Barkley was picking up, and you know they simplified the whole process of the play calling. Um, and according to Bates at the time, it sounded like Matt Barkley had it down. But then it comes out today that you know he doesn't really have it down. So what what did they kind of say about that? Okay, it's not that he doesn't know the offense. He knows the offense. Um, it's just though that. In a game situation, the communication is limited between the coaches and the quarterback, so they have to signal in plays. They have to signal they, – they'll signal in whatever reads that they think the quarterback should be making and stuff like that, and he does not have that part of the offense down yet. Um, that's And it sounds to me – the impression I got is that they haven't even really tried to introduce that at this point. That Corp and Mitch Mustaine had a massive advantage over Barkley in this competition because they already knew that part of it. And that was one thing that would limit somebody to play. I mean, um, Carroll, you know, said today that, you know, Barkley's done a great job, but he's had Bates with him in every huddle. And, and, you know, even in the scrimmages, you know, Bates and Carroll are on the field. They talk to the quarterbacks and stuff like that. There's, you wouldn't be able to do that in a game situation that if Barkley had to play today, he would have to call plays off his wristbands and stuff like that. And Carroll doesn't want him to have to do that in his first game. He doesn't think that that's, the right way to immerse somebody to have someone they want him to be more reactionary and just know it so he doesn't have to think about it and he, he's not there yet okay i mean it, it seems like the progress he's made has been remarkable fairly remarkable, remarkable. compared to, i mean from what bates was saying but there's still so much to know that he just i mean it would have been impossible for him after being on campus for a couple months to be able to fully run if the, you know if they had to play san jose state tomorrow there's no way you could do it. But it sounds like from what they're saying, that's something he would be able to master by the time the fall rolls around and then it would be more of an even playing field uh, when that competition starts. Yeah, the deck was always stacked against Barkley because of that. They did. They just didn't give him that part of the offense. They didn't introduce it to him. So what now what is going to happen in the fall is once he knows that, they're going to be able to look and say, okay, now it's going to be about who's playing the best football. Right now, and I guess this entire competition, it's never been about that. It hasn't been about who's playing the best football. It's about who is, would make, who's the most ready right now, and that was Aaron Corp. All right. So the, the, I guess the wild card here is Mitch Mustaine. And, uh, you know, I, people were worried. I think people talked about on the message boards. If, if, you know, Mitch transferred once, would he be able to transfer again? I mean, what is he going to – it sounds like he wasn't happy with the decision, but like, you know, like you said, he's still in the, in still in the running in some capacity. Yeah, it was, it was interesting how this all kind of came about after practice today. Um, he was asked if he felt he got a shot in this whole press, because that was one thing that Jeremy Bates said more than one time. He said that, you know, that, it's, that we tried to give everybody a fair look. And Mustaine was like, you know, well, I talked to him about that. And that's a private conversation that'll stay between the two of us. But, you know, I know that they think it was it was fair. That's you know, and that's what they they looked at their definitions of reps and, and chances, and they think it's fair, which kind of insinuated that maybe he didn't think it was fair. Um, but you know, he was also asked if he was going to transfer. He said no, it wouldn't make sense. That he's too close to receiving his degree to transfer again. His options to transfer were really limited anyway to begin with. Um, it's not like he could, you know, go transfer 
uh, he would have to go and sit out, you know, and lose the year. He could go to a one double A now, but after this year, he wouldn't be able to do that. He would have to go to a division two school. And I mean, I, the carrot of kind of Matt Castle is, is still there. And this is where Matt, this is where Matt Castle's is just so crucial to USC is now that there's a template for a guy who didn't play at USC and is, you know, getting paid, you know, like an NFL starting quarterback now, what, four or five years removed from college. And, and that carrot's out there that just by being at USC, you can earn your way, earn a spot in an NFL camp. And from there you can do your job. And I think that's kind of what Mitch is looking towards at this point. Um, I don't know how he can overtake Barkley. If, you know, it's, Kind of retro Barkley, which they said they won't. Um, I don't see any any real way how he can enter the season as anything but the number three quarterback. Well, Mustaine, I mean, he's way ahead of where Matt Castle was. I mean, he's he's eight no, he started eight games. So I mean, there's and he's played more than that. So he's he's well ahead of where Matt Castle was. Ago, though, Ryan, that was so long ago. But it's and still. I mean, I mean, the last time Matt Castle started was in, you know, high school, and they're talking, they're showing footage of him in Little League World Series. I mean, there's, you know, he at least Mustaine has some college experience going in for him. I think that could, that can only help. I mean, I think a Matt Castle thing is, you know, that's yeah. a one in a million. But at least, at least Mustaine has a little bit more going for him. Yeah, it's just the idea that you can be a backup at USC and still and still play in the NFL, and, and it's the general idea of that that I think can, I don't want to say give hope, but keep people positive and keep people working um, even when they're buried on the depth chart, which it, it looks like Mitch Mustaine is at this point. All right. Um, I, I think you said uh, you gave a little hot button thing there, and they said they're not going to redshirt Matt Barkley. And uh, I know there's going to be a lot of... That's US... at least what Bates said. That's what Bates said today. Okay. And, then, and a lot, you know, obviously Pete Carroll is going to make the final decision, but a lot of the USC fans, I mean, they... if. If he's just going to be the backup guy and not redshirt just because he's number two and is only going to get in to hand the ball off a couple of times, if, if that's what ends up happening, who knows what's going to end up happening. I know there's going to be some SC fans that are just going to be like, why don't they just, you know, why can't they redshirt him this year? And, and they're going to, we're going to hear about that for sure. Um, did they talk about that at all? I, you, we know, we've talked about Pete Carroll's philosophy. If a kid can play, he's not going to redshirt him. He's just going to let him play. But did they mention anything about that? Um, not specifically other than what Bates said about it, which was that, you know, we're not talking about redshirting him. We're talking about playing him at this point, um, which tells me, I mean, Barkley's still very much in this competition. I think that was one of the things that in the the column that I wrote for the website earlier this week that kind of got lost and maybe I didn't defend it enough was that I think the Corp decision is the right decision for now. And I think in the future, though, they're going to reevaluate it, and I think that future starts in the fall. I mean, they're going to be looking at – at this at this team, and they're going to be looking at what Barkley can add to everything. I mean, Barkley does so many good things for this offense, and you know, it's it's really something where he can he can just change the game with his arm, and he can change the game with the throws that he makes. Right, and I think in the same respect, I mean, Aaron Corp can change it with his legs more, and 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 he, he's a gamer, and he's a guy that can can make plays. I think it'll be really interesting to watch what happens at the Trojan Huddle. Um, I mean, this was essentially why Pete Carroll named the starter so that we'll know who the number one guy trotting out of the tunnel with the first string offense is going to be. It'll be Aaron Corp. He'll be running the show. Uh, you know, Barkley will be getting the second reps and, and Mustaine the third. Uh, I, for me, though, I, the intangibles that Corp brings, I think it was it was a really big mountain for Barkley to climb, not even knowing about that. Well, because of the uh, 
the calls and the signals that they weren't going to be able to, to you know, Barkley just wouldn't, fit, you know, we wouldn't be able to start just because there's there's certain knowledge that he needs to have that he doesn't have yet. But that that being able to run the summer workouts and you know we're down there every one of those those workouts, it's really important that the quarterback is running the show. And it just it just didn't seem like it would make much sense to have a guy like Matt Barkley who should still be in high school running those summer workouts, even if he won the, you know, the quarterback battle by a mile, it just seemed like it would make sense to have Aaron Corp there as that guy and then let give Barkley a chance to win it really for real in the fall. And, you know, that's what it looks like it's going to happen now. I mean, who knows who's going to win and, you know, Mustang could make a run, but it seems like a real long shot now, but I think, you know, the, the Trojan fans will be pretty happy to see these two guys kind of going at it because I think both of them have, have, you know, unique skill sets that they'd bring to the position and, you know, and, and bring a certain level, high level of success to an offense that really just needs someone in there kind of plugged in a quarterback. Cause there's so much skill and so much talent at all the other positions. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If you're looking for a facilitator, it's Aaron Corp. If you're looking for someone to maximize what this offense can do, it's Matt Barkley. I mean, he, he can do the most with with these weapons. I mean, he can, there's no question he can do more. Um, the, the off-season workout thing, it turns out, actually, Pete Carroll said, was not a factor in the decision at all. Um, I, I, that's what he said. I'm not sure. I mean, you I believe think that? It had to have been the decision-making <laughs> process. Yeah. But, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, I think that's, I mean, but that all goes into it. Like, you know, I think none of us thought, for whatever reason, whether it was from a leadership standpoint or something, that Matt Barkley wasn't going to be equipped to, to, to be the starter at this moment. And it turns out he wasn't. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what goes down this Saturday, uh, the Trojan Huddle. So if you go down there, it's ten dollars to get in. They should have about between fifteen and twenty-five or twenty, fifteen to twenty thousand USC fans. Most likely will be there. You can buy tickets down there. Or I think you can go to uh, usctrojans.com and buy tickets and stuff. There will be down there. We'll we'll put up video highlights. We'll have interviews, all kinds of reaction. We'll do our final quarterback rating of the year. Even though that, you know, I don't, I don't know if. People still, I think, want to check out what the quarterback rankings say because I think Matt Barkley can still end up as the number one ranked quarterback according to our quarterback rankings when all is said and done, even though Aaron Corp was named the starter. Oh, he will. Barkley will. I, I'm almost 100% positive he'll be out of Aaron Corp. But, <clears throat> again, I think that that just shows the weight of knowing exactly what the offense wants to do and knowing exactly the ways to, to do to execute the offense and knowing – I mean, like the signals, like that's a, I mean, I can't undersell that enough. That is such a big part of what they do. I mean, P. Carroll said it, I mean, as much as that, if we played tomorrow, we couldn't play Matt Barkley. And Matt Barkley has played probably the best out of all, all the quarterbacks, and they couldn't play him because he doesn't know that part of the offense. And we all know how much P. Carroll loves to play freshmen. So obviously that's critical. So what I would imagine that Matt Barkley is going to do is, the day spring practice ends, I, 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 you know, I mean, he's going to start working on that. And, and, you know, throughout the summer, he's going to be drilling it, and he's going to be working on that. Come fall, he's going to be ready, and this quarterback battle is going to pick back up. It, it, it's going to be different than the Sanchez-Mustaine fall battle of last year that just was non-existent, or, you know, the Booty-Sanchez battle that really, again, wasn't existent. That it was, I mean, it was always going to be Booty. It was almost preordained. This is this year is different because of Barkley and Carroll said as much that you know he, he kind of acknowledged that you know he said this before but this this year it feels different because of how far along Barkley is and just how good he is. All right, well it'll be interesting to see. 
we'll definitely check that out. Thanks for all the uh, great reporting on that, Dan. Let's uh, focus a little bit on the the upcoming draft this weekend. Um, all right. You know, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of draft. You know, like uh, mock drafts and stuff because there's so many things that can happen. Trades and there's no way you can take an account what every team needs. They keep their ideas so close to the vest. I mean, they don't want to give away the secrets of who they want to draft and stuff like that. But just maybe just overall kind of by round or or generalities and stuff. I mean, it looks like to me, I mean, it seems like Mark Sanchez has moved up a little bit. You know, maybe he drops back down. I mean, he could go as high as number four, uh, Seattle. Um, You know, there's teams that could trade up to get him. But it seems pretty likely he's going to be a top 10 pick at this point. Yeah, the four teams that I kind of like Sanchez for the best are um, Seattle. Um, that seems to be like kind of the new consensus that that's where he's going to go. Um, I also like Washington to make a move potentially to try and get him. Um, I like Jacksonville potentially to, to try to move up and get him, or if he slid to Denver. I think those are three teams that, that are kind of looking for a quarterback who could, you know, especially a guy who can be a franchise quarterback. And I think that's the projection on Sanchez is that he is the type of quarterback you can build a franchise around. And that's why he's going to be, that's why he's going to be the first Trojan off the board. Um, almost guaranteed. Yeah. Um, that... I think in the first round, you're going to see also, you're going to see um, three linebackers picked uh, Maluga, uh, Matthews and Cushing, potentially even in that order, which is kind of crazy. to think that Clay Matthews, it has risen that much. I just I think teams love his versatility. They love his motor, and he obviously has a, you know a phenomenal gene pool. Um, the second round, um, Philly Moala, maybe maybe late first round for Philly Moala, but probably the second round. And, th- and then we start getting into kind of the tricky area, those middle rounds where, in between like the third and fifth round, I think you're going to see Kaluka Maaba, Kevin Ellison. Um, come off the board, Kerry Harris potentially, even though Kerry Harris did not test well. No, no, he had a um, terrible run. But he had a good senior bowl week um, until I believe he got injured. Um, and, and, I, you know, scouts always, I think, like that even better than, than the testing because they actually get to see the guy in practice and they get to, they get kind of more of a taste for what that guy's like. Um, Kyle Morrow probably in that range as well. Um, Patrick Turner is kind of the interesting guy. I'm not sure where he's going to go. Um, I, I think that teams, you know, are going to like his size. And I, and I think he helped himself by running pretty well at USC's pro day. I'm just still not sure, you know, he was, he was inconsistent over his career. It, it's going to be hard, and especially with a, a draft that has a lot of first round receivers, um, to, to kind of see where he's going to shake down. I mean, anywhere between the fourth and the sixth would be my guess. Um, you know, I, I've seen some mock drafts, you know, that don't have him picked. Um, yeah, I think, I think like Todd, Todd McShay, I think, had him not picked there. I, I do think he's going to go somewhere. It might be, a, I mean, it'll be second day picking stuff for sure, but, you know, somewhere four or five range, I think he's a, got a chance. I think David Beeler also has a good chance of getting picked up by somebody. I know, you know, I talked yeah. to him briefly yeah. at practice today, and, he, you know, he mentioned some teams, I don't want to say, but, you know, he mentioned some teams that were definitely – interviewing him and looking at him and stuff. So I think there's there's a lot of potential. I mean, there could be, for USC, there's going to be a really interesting, you know, four, five, six, seven, those last few rounds. I think there could be a lot of Trojans uh, picked up there. And it should be some interesting, uh, you know, whatever, you know, to see where these guys go and, you know, if and who guys get, you know, if they get drafted or not. I, I don't think there's going to be any Matt Castles and stuff, but there's a lot of guys that made huge contributions to the Trojan team that should get picked up somewhere in the draft. Yeah, I would I would think, you know, I mean, Beeler, 
obviously is a guy that I think can help an NFL team instantly just with his kickoffs alone. I mean, <clears throat> you know, there's always, I mean, field position is at a premium, especially in the NFL. And, and that, I mean, that's, that's such a huge asset. And then, you know, a little lesser tier guys, guys like, you know, Washington, Greg Wojnick, who, who, you know, are guys that can maybe look to sign free agent contracts um, to a squad potentially or something like that if, if they've caught the right eye at, at, at a point. The interesting thing I always think about the draft is, you know, people always say that after the fifth round, it's better not to get drafted in a lot of cases because then you kind of get to pick and choose where you go if you're a player. Like, let's say Patrick Turner doesn't get picked. You know, he can now go to a team that has a need you know, a team that's looking for a big physical receiver, and he can, he, you know, he can essentially audition for a team that that wants a player like him. Versus, you know, if he gets drafted just because he's the the quote unquote best player available on the board, he might go to a team that's already stacked at that position, or they could be looking to stash him on a practice roster for a year or something like that. So, it's 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 just interesting, I guess, at that point, those later rounds. It, it should be pretty frantic for. For USC fans, but I mean that first round too. Again, you, I mean it's just going to be same as it ever was, and, and that first day where you're going to see a lot of USC names off the board, and you're not going to have to think too hard as to why this team has had so much success over the past, you know, five six years, and because of guys like Kyle Moore, Philip Mualla, you know, Ray Maluga, Mark Sanchez. I mean, just I mean these these are guys that are projected to be stars in the NFL. It's going to be a busy weekend at uh, USC. You got the Trojan huddle going on as just about the same time that the uh, NFL draft gets going. So, uh, if you're down there, we'll be sending out text alerts uh, to to our USCFootball.com subscribers. If you want to go, just go to USCFootball.com, click on text alerts. If you want to get more information mm-hmm. on getting those, um, we'll send those out when any of the Trojans get drafted. So that's always kind of fun. You can check that out. But yeah, there'll be the huddle. There'll be the draft. On Saturday and Sunday, a lot of big stuff going on with USC football this weekend. So stay tuned to uscfootball.com. We'll have all of that stuff going on, all the reports from everything that's been going on down there. Any any excuse for you to work me harder, I'm all for it. We got we got to work Dan harder. All right, Dan. Well, thanks very much for uh, joining us. It's kind of a, a strange podcast because I have a jury duty when we normally record this. I had to record it a little bit earlier, late on Tuesday night. So it'll still get out on Wednesday for everybody. But we do apologize. We couldn't have uh, Harvey Hyde on this week, but we got. A lot of recruiting with uh, 40 minutes of Gerard Martinez, and we got Dan talking the quarterbacks and the NFL draft. So hopefully it was a good podcast for everybody out there. Hope you liked it too, Dan. 40 minutes of Gerard? Oh, yeah. I look forward to that, and good luck tomorrow doing your civic duty. Yes, Actually. thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, we, four- can, we, can, we can talk off the air about my uh, my tricks for getting out of jury duty. All right. I well, a bunch of- I, it's too late for me now. i got to go in there. But anyway, thank you, Dan. Thanks to everyone else for tuning in, and we will see you next week going up overall spring review of what went on the Trojan huddle and what happened in the NFL draft. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.